Deuteronomy 11, 11, you can turn there, but I, I'm going to go through various scriptures if you want. And, uh, and the message tonight is entitled, Valleys and Hills. Deuteronomy 11, 11 through 12, I'm sorry, here's what the scripture says. The land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven. A land for which the Lord your God cares. You hear that? A land for which your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And we can testify to that because of last year. And we can also lean upon the promise for next year. That he says, I, he says his eyes are always on it, the land, from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And that land can be next year. Tonight we are just hours away from tomorrow. The future. The new year. The unknown. And therein it lies before us a new year. And we're going to move forward. And we're going to take possession of that land. Nobody knows what we're going to find there. Nobody knows what new experiences we're going to find there either. But we're going to experience them. Nobody knows what changes are going to come our way. Nobody knows but God what new needs will arise. And even though all of this is uncertain, you know, all of this uncertainty lies ahead of us, we have a cheerful and comforting message from our Heavenly Father. He said there at the end of verse 12 of Deuteronomy 11, he said, the Lord your God cares for it. Now, it, you can make it whatever it is that, that may be your concern. The, your, the Lord your God cares for it, and the eyes of the Lord are continually on it from beginning of the year to its end. The Lord is to be our source of supply. And again, I hope that the words that we hear tonight are encouraging words for next year. For things that you might be already fretting over, worrying about. So again, I hope there will be comforting words. It says the Lord is our source and he's our supply and our sufficiency. And Philippians 4.19, it says, And this same God who takes care of me, Paul said, will supply all your needs. The word supply means to cram. It means to make complete. <clears throat> so Paul is saying that this God who takes care of me, man, he's going to make complete. He's going to cram all of the needs that I have. He's going to give me those needs from his glorious riches, which he says have been given to us in Jesus Christ. Paul said in Colossians 2.10, we are complete in him. In Jesus Christ are springs and fountains and streams that will never run dry. And this is why Jesus said to his disciples, he says, don't worry about everyday life. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, don't wor worry whether you have enough food and drink. He said, don't worry about, you know, about having enough clothes to wear. He said, isn't life more than food? Isn't your body more important than clothing? He said, look at the birds. They don't plant. They don't harvest. They don't store up food in barns. He said, because your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Worry takes away from our life. It stresses us out. It, it causes illness. 
And Jesus said, why worry about your clothing? He said, look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. He said, Solomon, in all of his glory, wasn't dressed as wonderfully and as beautifully as the lilies of the field are. And he said, if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers, he says, that are here today and basically gone tomorrow, he will certainly take care of you. He says, why do you have so little faith? The inference is, is that, you know, when I'm worrying about these things, the clothing, the food, and all these things, he says, we're lacking in faith. Because he certainly will care for you. Jesus says, so don't worry about these things. Don't worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. He says, these are the things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. He says, but your heavenly Father already knows all that you need. So Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God first. And he said, live righteously. And he will give you everything that you need. And Jesus says again, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. He's saying, hey, have faith in our Father. Put Him first, and He'll meet our needs. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask for it. The Father isn't surprised by our needs. The Father isn't surprised at at what happens to us. You know, worrying means that we don't think that God can look after the daily details of our lives. And worry is a form of atheism and unfaithfulness. God created us so He knows what we need. So for those who are anxious, the Lord says, don't be. The psalmist said, do not fret or worry. He said it only causes harm. And, and we see that, that, that you know, medical you know, um, people say that, you know, again, it, it truly does cause harm. Worrying, fretting, being anxious. He said, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. For those who are anxious and worriers, comes the gracious promise of our Heavenly Father. His mercy endures forever. If God is the source of our mercies, His mercy will never fail us because His mercy endures forever. No heat, no drought can dry the river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. The land that we are to possess, as Deuteronomy 11 was telling the children of Israel, the land that you are going to go possess, it has a lot of valleys and hills. Those valleys and hills uh, represent the ups and the downs in life. You know, life is not all downhill or flat. There's a lot of uncertainty that lies ahead of us. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 28 has a great example of that. After Ben-Hadad's defeat, after Israel be, uh, defeated again Ben-Hadad, his, he, he, said his, he said to his officers, he says, you know, the Israelites' gods are gods of the hills. That's why they won the battle. But he says, we can beat them easily in the valleys. And that's what the devil wants you to think. It's one, it, life is great when you're on the mountaintop, when you're in the hills. 
but see us in the valleys that we feel like God isn't there. And that's what Ben-Hadad was saying to his army. He says, next time, he said this to the kings who lost the battle. He says, we're going to replace the kings with field commanders. We're going to recruit another army like the one that we lost. Give us the same number of horses and chariots and men, and we're going to fight against Israel on the plains, and there's no doubt we're going to beat them this time. So King Ben-Hadad did as they suggested. The following spring, he calls up his army. He marches out against Israel. And then Israel gathered their army together. They set up their army and their supplies. They marched out for battle. But the Israelite army, you know, the Israelite army looked like two little flocks of goats compared to the enemy's army. The enemy's army filled the countryside. And many times that's the way we feel. We feel so small when we see the enemy and what he's doing. And then the man of God went to the king of Israel and he said, this is what the Lord says. And he's telling us the same thing tonight. And he's telling, this, telling us this every day. So the Arameans have said, the Lord is a, is, a, is a God of the hills and not of the valleys. That's what they believe. God says, so I will defeat this enormous army for you. And then you will know that I am the Lord. Satan and his army of demons is a huge army. But God says, you know what? I'm going to show you that I am Lord. You see, the big mistake that the Syrian soldiers made is pretty much the same mistake the whole world makes. You know, what if when we were asked, it would prove that we have a limited religion? A religion that's useful here, but useless in another place. Like, he's there in the hills, but he's not in the valleys. In other words, we want him in the dark times and in the dangerous places. But we can handle ourselves in open places and on the top of the hills. Like, that, like Ben Haddad said, hey, look, next time we're going to get bigger army. We're going to get kings. We're going to get commanders and city kings. We're going to do this and we're going to take them. And sometimes we feel the same way. In the big things, we give, the, we give them to God. But in the little things, I got this. I can take care of it. See, there are those who limit God to the hills of, of speculation that, you know, if, if it's going to be okay. But they exclude him from the valleys of the everyday life. We may commit the same sin of Syria by doubting the help that God will give us. Now, there are no limits to what God can do to help you. His ability to meet your need has no boundaries, no restrictions. God has no limits. No, 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 no boundaries to his power. You know God, what's, who's, what's God's greatest limitation? You and me. We are God's greatest limitation because God wants to do all that he can for us. But when we say no to him, we tie his hands in a sense because he's not going to intrude on something that we don't want him to do. He's not going to force himself upon us. Sometimes we get into deep trouble. And then we imagine the Lord won't help us like he helped the old saints back in the Old Testament that we read about in the Bible. We can believe that he helps everybody else but us. We can believe all about Abraham and Moses and David and how how God helped them and dealt with them. But we question the Lord. Will he help me? 
And we look at those great men of the Old Testament. We look at them like the great hills, the mountaintops. And then we think of ourselves of the valleys, the low places. And we, we, we don't dare think or hope that God would deal with us like he did with his servants in time past. This makes God a limited God. You see, we should have the same faith in God as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and expect the same deliverances that he gave them. Some Christians think that they can't take their everyday, ordinary trials to the Lord. You know, they, well, they're petty, they're little. I, you know, I, I can't take this to the Lord. I can pray about spiritual things. I can pray about big things, big burdens. I can pray about serious sins, but, you know, I can't pray or I'm not going to take the simple, ordinary, daily details to God. But doesn't God tell us in His Word that even the hairs on your head are all numbered? Are those spiritual things? Jesus said, What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? He says, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. He said, and the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, he said. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Peter said, cast all your care on him. He said, give all your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. And going into this new year, he cares for you. And we have to remember that. One of the wonderful benefits of this kind of relationship with God is the privilege of letting him care, take care of our burdens. But unless we meet the conditions that Peter mentioned in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6, which was he said, humble yourselves and cast all your cares upon him, then we can't claim the wonderful promise. We have to humble ourselves and say, God, I can't handle this. This is too big for me. I'm giving it to you. And then we cast all of our cares. You know, it never hit me until I, I was reading this. All our cares, every single one, no matter how small or how big, are those in between. He says, all your cares, give them to me. And the word translated care, it means anxiety. He said, Give, cast upon me all your anxieties. Anxiety means it's, the, it's, it's a state of being pulled apart. And a lot of people are pulled apart, fall apart behind their anxieties and their worry. A lot of them are medicated because of anxiety. When circumstances get tough and difficult, and hey, we'll most likely meet some difficult circumstances next year. When circumstances are difficult, it's easy for us to become anxious and worry. But if we are, we will miss God's blessing and we'll become poor witnesses to the lost. We need His inward peace if we're going to triumph in those fiery trials. And if we're going to bring glory to His name. Dr. George Morrison said this, God does not make his children carefree in order that they be careless. According to Peter, we must once and for all give him all of our cares, past, uh, you know, past, present, and future. He says we must give them all to the Lord. We must not hand, hand them to him you know, one by one and you know, sort them, well, you know, I'm going to take this to the Lord and I can take care of this one. 
No, we're not to hand the, hand the Lord one by one or little by little and keeping those cares that we think that we can handle ourselves. Because if we, if we keep even the little cares for ourselves, pretty soon they're going to turn into big cares, big problems. Every time a new burden comes up, we must by faith remind the Lord, but mostly ourselves, that we've already turned it over to Him. The psalmist said in Psalm 55, 20, he said, cast your burden on the Lord. And it says, and he shall sustain you and he shall never permit the righteous to be moved. The word, uh, and the word moved means to waver, to slip, to shake, or to fall. So when we cast our burdens upon the Lord and he sustains us, he says he's going to keep us from wavering. He's going to keep us from slipping and, and shaking and falling. In Psalm 37 also, verse 5, the psalmist said, Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him and He will help you. The word commit means to roll away. It means to roll over. So in other words, the psalmist says, Roll away or roll over all of, the, all of your cares upon the Lord. Roll over, roll away everything that you do to the Lord and trust Him and He will help you. But as long as you hold on to it, He can't help you. And, and, and it reminds me so much of Moses' mother at the Nile when he had to let Moses go in that little basket into the Nile River. You know, I, I, thinking as a mother how hard that had to be for her to let that infant go because of the dangers that were in the Nile River. You know, crocodiles could have eaten little Moses the basket could have leaked and he could have drowned or, you know, many things that, that had to be going through his mother's mind, letting go. And I just see her holding on to that basket and just struggling to let him go. But if you know the rest of the story, the moment she let go, we saw God go into action. You know, a woman at the side of the river picks him up. She takes care of him. She, she, she finds a Hebrew woman to take care of baby Moses. And it was her, his mother. And she even got paid for taking care of her own son. Only God could do something like that. But you see, she had to let go. She had to let go. He is the God of the hills. The God, the, the, he, he's the God of the spiritual needs of his children. And he's also the God of the valleys, the low places, of our smaller daily and hourly troubles. You know, and, and he tells us, he says, ask me. Doesn't he, say, he said, doesn't he say, give us day by day our daily bread? So what's the purpose of his mercy? He said that you shall know that I am the Lord. It's the revelation of God. That's meant, it's meant to bring life to your soul. If life was always smooth and level, that, that boring sameness would weigh us down. We need the valleys and the hills. We need the high places and the low places in our life. Because it's where the fruit grows. Have you ever noticed fruits, uh, crops and orchards growing on the mountaintops? They grow in the valley. You know, you go out towards Bakersfield and all those areas out there. All the, all the fruits and the crops, they're grown in the valleys. That's where the fruit grows. And that's why God allows us to have those valley experiences. Because that's where the fruit grows in our spiritual life. 
Again, you don't usually see those crops planted in the hills. It's also the same with us. It's difficulty. It's difficulty that we encounter on the hills that drives us to the throne of grace and brings down the showers of blessings. It's in the hills where it's cold and seemingly barren hills of life that we question and complain about. The harsh, hard, rugged, they're steep to climb. God's hills are a gracious protection, though, for His people against their enemies. We can't see what loss or sorrow or trials are coming in 1924, and also, I'm sorry, 2024. Shows you my age, anyway. We can't see what loss, sorrow, and trials are are coming in 2024, or the accomplishments that are going to come in 2024. We only need to trust the Father who comes near us to take us by the hand and to lead us on our way today. I love Psalm 41, 10, verses, uh, verse 10 through 13. He said, don't be afraid. That's his words to you tonight. Don't be afraid of next year. Don't be afraid of 2024, for I am with you. He says, don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will hold you up with my righteous right hand. He says, see, all your angry enemies lie there, confused and humiliated. Anyone who opposes you will die and come to nothing. You will look in vain for those who tried to conquer you. Those who attack you will come to nothing because I hold you by my right hand. I, the Lord your God, and I say to you, don't be afraid. I'm here to help you. Take that into the next year. Isaiah 46, 3 and 4. He said, listen to me, descendants of Jacob. Now, I love this. I have cared for you since you were born. He said, yes, I carried you before you were born. I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is gray with age. I made you. I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. We should, you know, we should never be content to stay in the valleys. When the peak of Mount Tabor, which was uh, the place where, the, the, uh, where, where again, uh, the, the disciples saw Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, that was the Mount of Transfiguration. What a blessing it was on that mountain. The Lord is the God of the high and the low places and the times of trial. Yes, the mountain experiences are great. The air is cool and it's crisp and it's fresh. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are content to live like people in dungeons. They never see the sun. And you can see the lack of joy in their faces when they could be anointed with God's heavenly oil. And it's plain to see that a lot of believers... You know, suffer in that dungeon when they could walk on a mountaintop, looking out at the green, flourishing scenery. And that's why Christians need to, you know, to, to hear the word of God and to wake up to that, to that place that they're in where they never leave the valley. We you know, need to get rid of our laziness, our sluggishness, lukewarmness, or whatever it is that interferes with our total, total love for the Lord. We need to make him the source, the center, and the one who's involved in every day of our life. And not being satisfied any longer with the same old thing. The same meager accomplishments. Let us want to go higher next year. Let us want a higher life, a greater and fuller life. Waiting to be near to God and to go further with God. And a lot of Christians aren't living the best that they can live for the Lord. Because they're content to stay in the valleys like Lot did. 
when he separated from Abraham. Because, or I'm sorry, that Lot when he was in Sodom and it was about to be destroyed. The angels told Lot, escape to the mountains. In Genesis 19, it says God was about to destroy Sodom and the angels told him, escape to the mountains. But Lot said, oh no, my Lord. He said, now I know you've been gracious to me, God. I know you saved my life before and you show me a lot of kindness. But he says, I can't go to the mountains. He said, because something might happen to me and I would die. He says, but there's a little village that's close by. Let me go there instead. Then my life will be saved. You see, Lot had, Lot had two complaints that maybe we can relate to. First of all, what the angels asked him to do, he was saying, it's too hard for me to do. And there are times when God says, hey, you know, I, I want you to do this. Or he's leading us to do something and we get all excited. We go, no, it's, it's too hard. I can't do that. It's more than I can do. You see, Lot wanted the angels, or really God, because the, the angels were God's you know, messengers. Lot wanted God to change his assignment. The second complaint was that he didn't trust God to keep him safe. He said, oh no, he, says, he told the angels, I can't do that because something might happen to me there. But it was the angels who were the messenger of God who sent them there. So if God sent them, he was going to be okay. But you see, he was disobedient. He didn't trust what God was telling them through the angels. No, you got to change your assignment. He said, but what I will do is compromise. I mean, that's not his exact words, but he says, what I will do, there's a little village that's really close to Sodom. It's close by. I'll go there. See, the lesson is he wasn't willing to go the distance for God. He wasn't willing to make the sacrifice, to make the effort to go to the mountain where he would be safe. And then after compromising, you know, after he left, or he not went, didn't go to the mountain, and he, and he settled in that little village, because God gave him that, that he, he said, okay, you want to settle for second best? You can have it. After his compromise, when things didn't work out, and they're never going to when we compromise, Remember, it, it, it really messed things up for him. He, he, he left, he, he was in the village, and it says, you know, his, his wife, he lost his family, and, and he almost you know, lost his life. Because, and when, when, you, when you don't escape to the mountains, you, you, you can't change your mind after it's too late and then receive the mountain blessing. We need to have the mind of Caleb. Caleb reminded his friend Joshua of the promise of Moses that he had made to them 45 years before. Moses, Joshua promised Caleb that they would, or Moses promised them that they would survive the years of wandering and, and receive their inheritance in the land. This promise gave Joshua and Caleb joy and courage, and they endured those long years of wandering and waiting. The lesson is to be encouraged in your pilgrim journey through the lands, the land of hills and valleys. Paul said, you, you know, you can claim every spiritual blessing. Caleb was 85 years old when he asked Joshua for mountains. Think of that. He asked for mountains to climb and giants to conquer. He didn't ask for an easy job like Lot did. Oh, you know, I'll go to this village close by. It's too hard to go up to the mountain. 
Here Caleb's 85 and he's asking for mountains. He didn't look for an easy job. He didn't, hey, give me, give, give me an old job that suits an old man. No, he didn't say that. We need to go into the new year with that attitude. Or I'm going into this new year, you know, give me mountains to climb. Give me giants to conquer. And not fear the unknown. Caleb's strength was in the Lord and he knew that God would never fail him. And the secret of Caleb's life is found in a phrase that's repeated six times in Scripture. He wholly, Caleb wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. You see, Caleb was an overcomer because he had faith in the Lord. The lesson is this, that we're never too old to make new conquests of faith in the power of the Lord. Like Caleb, we can capture mountains and we can conquer giants if we wholly follow the Lord. No matter how old we become, we must never become old wineskins and give up trusting and serving the Lord. The mountains might be steep. They might be rugged. They might discourage us from moving forward. So we stay in the comfort of the valleys and we never discover what God has for us in the mountains because we say it's too hard. We don't know what is lost by our self-indulgence, what glory is waiting for us if we'd only have the courage to climb, to climb up. Or what blessings we'll find if we'll only move upward to the mountains. We won't experience the new blessings of the new year if we're not willing to get out of the valleys. God said in Revelation 21, I make all things new. We're going into a new year. Let's go in with that attitude. God makes all things new. Solomon, when he had strayed away from the Lord, he became really, you know, bummed out about life. Remember, he said everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. And then he, he, he wrote about the, the, the routine of life, basically. He says, what do people get from all of their work, hard work on earth? He says, generations, they come and generations go. He says, but the earth never changes. He says, the sun rises, the sun sets. He says, and then it hurries around and rises again. He said, the wind blows south, then turns north. He said, around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. He says, then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything, he said, everything is wearisome beyond description, he said. He said, no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. He said, history merely repeats itself. He says, it's all been done before. Nothing is new really under the sun. That was his outlook without God. Sometimes he said, people say, oh, here's something new. But he's actually, it's old. Nothing is ever really new. We don't remember what happened in the past. And in future generations, no one's going to remember what we're doing now. But here's what he said when he got right with God at the end of Ecclesiastes. He said, I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. He said, I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. He said, I observed everything going on under the sun and it's all meaningless. It's all like chasing the wind. So again, he's, he's adding to that, that view of life that was empty. That's the human point of life. It seems beautiful. It seems futile. But here we have, again, the wonderful words of Paul. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, 
Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord because you know that nothing you do for the Lord is useless. Ecclesiastes, Solomon had that negative view. It's all born. It's all the same. Paul said, hey, nothing you do for the Lord is useless. So we stand staring out at the hills and the valleys of the new year. Concerned about, you know, what might be out there. Remember, God knows everything. He knows what's best for us. You know, again, he, he guides us along the way. You know, it says, the psalmist said, you are all around me, God, all around me. The word around means enclosed. It means to guard a valuable object. And that's what God is doing. He's guarding a valuable object. That's you and I. So God's knowledge and guidance are for our protection. So again, Solomon said in his final conclusion, fear God, obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. So again, we don't own our own lives because life is the gift of God. We're keepers of our lives. And one day we're going to give an account of what we've done with that gift. Some people are only living. They're basically existing. Others are wasting their lives and, and, and few are investing in their lives. What are we doing? Are we existing, wasting, or investing in our lives? Corey Ten Boom said this, and we'll close with her quote. She said, the measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. What are we doing in life? What are we adding to life? How are we being a donation and not just living it from beginning to end? Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we just thank you that you encourage us, God, every step of the way, Father. And Lord, we are going to experience hills and valleys, Lord. Fathers will experience the high tops, the, the, the exciting experience, and then we'll experience the valleys, the low times in our life. And there will be times, God, when you tell us to go to the mountains. And you'll lead us there. You'll, you'll be with us there. And there are times, Father, when you'll lead us to the valleys, those difficult times, God. But you're there too. You're in those pits with us, Lord. You're in those low times, God, as you were with the three friends of Daniel in, in, in the fiery furnace, God. When, the, when Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, didn't we throw three men down there? He, they said yes to him. And, and he said, well, I see four. One looks as if the Son of God. And so he's with us in those tough, tough times, in those pits. And so, Father, may you be with each one of us, God. May you bless my brothers and sisters this year. Father, may you watch over them, protect them, Lord. And, and God, just, uh, again, we look forward to what you're going to do next year, how you're going to use us, the opportunities that you give us, and God, how you build us up, how you strengthen us, God, in the valleys, in those tough times, God. But we know that you are always with us, that you carry us from our birth to the grave, God, and everything in between. So, Lord, we thank you, we love you, we give you honor and glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.